0: So let's move on with the podcast. This is the NP Business Matters Podcast, episode number 28, with Dr. Kimberly Hardy on leadership, imposter syndrome, and finding resilience. Welcome to the NP Business Matters podcast. I'm your host, Barbara C. Phillips, founder of Nurse Practitioner, Business Owner, and the Clinician Business Institute. And since 2007, we've been providing education, resources, and support about the business of being a nurse practitioner. To learn more, please visit our websites at npbusiness.com and clinicianbusinessinstitute.com. Now, before I get into today's episode, I want to invite you to do a few different things. Please head over to iTunes or wherever you listen to this podcast and make sure that you're subscribed. Secondly, please leave your feedback rate us and share it with your colleagues. This really helps the podcast continue to grow and get this information into more hands of our colleagues. And finally, please visit npbusiness.com forward slash podcast where you'll find the show notes, resources and links not only for today's episode, but for all of our episodes. Today I'm interviewing Dr. Kimberly Hardy, nurse practitioner. I initially met Kimberly when she gave a presentation at the Duke Johnson & Johnson Nurse Leadership Program and became one of the fellow coaches. After that initial meeting, it's been fun to reconnect and to see just how her growth trajectory has continued for her as a leader, as a coach, and now as a writer, And as we discuss, growth itself is not an easy thing to experience. And I love her phrase, perfection escapes me, because it is so true. It escapes all of us. So listen in and meet Dr. Kimberly Hardy.
1: I've been a nurse for 29 years. Wow. This year. um. I originally, um, I kind of followed in my mom's footsteps, to tell you the truth. I worked in the hospital in the city that we live in. I worked in the operating room, um, worked there as while I was pursuing my BSN. Um, and then um, I went actually right to the second place that she landed, which was East Carolina University. In the outpatient clinics there, she worked in internal medicine. I worked in allergy, rheumatology, immunology. I did that for about two and a half years. Absolutely loved it. I loved what I saw in the medical team. I loved the patients that were there. I um, uh, started my first, I think this is the my, my first uh, group group teaching experience was at the allergy immunology clinic, rheumatology clinic where I started a rheumatology support group because those patients needed support. They needed education. They needed that. And so we did that. Um, I'd almost forgotten that I did that. Um, but I've since seen those people on my, in my current, um, job again, everything kind of is connected. Um, so I see those patients now, um, in my field that I work in now in public health, but I did allergy, um, immunology, rheumatology for about two and a half years and decided that I wanted something more. And I applied for public health, a position in public health. And in public health, I I was accepted in the position. And uh, that public health experience is what spawned me to pursue The nurse practitioner, advanced practice, registered nurse degree um, or credential. I worked in the child health clinic day in and day out from the time I got there to the time I left in the afternoon doing physicals on children from head to toe. And if there was, um, if there was impetigo, if there was a ringworm, or if there was hair loss in a circular pattern, because you couldn't diagnose as a nurse, you could document the symptoms or the signs that you saw symptoms a patient reported. Um, I did that. And, you know, after a while, I thought, I'm missing something here. If I can go that far I think I can do the rest of this. I can I can treat these conditions that I'm seeing. So I actually had a nurse practitioner who was my primary provider. Her name was Maddie Colley. She was a wonderful nurse practitioner. She was my practitioner for years. And she was my the catalyst, actually, for me going to get my MP. Her caring, the time that she took, she listened, she was just um, the epitome of what I thought nursing or seeing a provider should be. Mm
0: -hmm. Mm -hmm.
1: And so I pursued it, and uh, I did it. And so in 2001, I graduated from East Carolina University's um, at that time School of Nursing, with my uh, Master's of Science, in nursing and got certified by ANCC as a family nurse practitioner. So that is kind of how that started. Um, public health and a lovely, wonderful family nurse practitioner who was the epitome of what I thought an advanced practice registered nurse
0: was. And you have stayed in public health all this time.
1: I have. I've done a few, yes. I've done a few other. I've, I've kind of. Um, I dipped and kind of went to a little different places. I never truly left public health. Um, I've been very fortunate in my time in public health. They allowed me to do things that I don't know that other people have done, which is I worked between two different agencies. I uh, I taught community health at East Carolina University College of Nursing. So I was between teaching and clinical practice at the health department. And then I also went back to what was Pitt County Memorial Hospital, which underwent a few name changes and was um, University Health Systems when I worked with them in the um, employee clinic. Um, so it was a kind of the primary care clinic for employees. And so I did that because I wanted to have a little broader expanse in practice um, beyond the usual family planning, STD child health kind of health promotion, preventive type services that I had uh, primarily worked in. So I've worked in those two um, entities while also working at the health department. Um, I got bored actually um, at the health department for a while there. Um, but I will tell you that was long before I ever moved into supervision. I've never been bored since moving into <laughs> the <laughs> solution it's <laughs> never a dull moment <laughs> not bored anymore um, yeah so that's that's how everything started and I believe that everything that I learned in those different settings operating room with me doing LARC procedures or inserting IUDs and, and um, all of that um, experience from my previous ex- job experiences and personal interest I think have helped prepare me to function and do the work that I do now as an administrator,
0: NP administrator. And you're still with the health department. Is that correct? Mm -hmm. I'm still with the health department. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, so with that and, and this leadership role with the health department, Mm -hmm. you and I originally met Mm -hmm. through Duke Yes. through the Duke Johnson and Johnson nurse leadership program and I I'm trying to remember back I don't remember if you were a fellow first when we met
1: I was a fellow in 1314 2013 2014
0: okay. all right yeah so it was probably when you were when you came back to speak is when we mm-hmm. met and I was still coaching there mm-hmm. at that time okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. okay,
1: so I became a coach in 2018 i believe
0: yeah yeah and I coached until this last year okay i i okay. stepped back and at this last year so so um but what led you to i mean that program is a fabulous program i mean phenomenal. i just i was not never a duke fellow, but i was honored to be first on the board and and then become a okay. project coach okay. and um uh I was I was almost always jealous of the fellows oh. <laughs> because just I mean I grew so much myself mm-hmm. and the growth that I saw in the fellows that were every year that went through the program was okay. just phenomenal and but but what made you do that particular because it's such it's such a a, to me it's a catalyst to just send you off into the universe doing all sorts of things
1: it was so let's talk about it being a catalyst it was a catalyst for me to get my go back and get my dnp um but i cannot recall who exposed me to the opportunity? I, I don't recall the, the, the way it came in. I don't know if they sent a, a, an, we were the first inaugural cohort uh, participating in that and I don't I, it, it, perhaps the North Carolina Board of Nursing sent it out to the through a lister. I, I don't recall. but um, I wanted something more. I mentioned that I was bored. 1314 was the year after I went into into supervision. I was primarily a n- clinical nurse practitioner up until 2012 when our um, our uh, county offered a benefit package for those who were very close to retirement, and we lost our middle management uh, nursing leaders, and we had to quickly punt and come up with a plan, and I was I was the I was part of that plan. Um so I was pulled in for that. While well, my education at that point had not been in so much leadership um of others, it had been certainly an education and but I learned quickly education and leadership supervision are different. There is a carrot at the end of the education train and the leadership supervision is a little bit of a different dance than the education one. So I wanted to be equipped. And so when they did Johnson & Johnson, Advanced Practice Registered Nurse Leadership Program came, became available, I jumped for it. Yeah, And it was everything that you said and more. I, um, you know, you talk about, or you've, we've, we've talked about, you and I, imposter syndrome. That program took the Flipped the cap off the bottle. It it flipped the lid and it opened it up. Um, through the, the components of that program with the coaching um, that was provided and the meditation practice mm-hmm. that was exposed and the yoga that was exposed, we were exposed to, and different leadership styles and communication styles and um, concepts like leadership wake. Um, things like that just pricked my my heart, and I learned a lot more about what I could do. I think before then, I was so focused, and, and, and I mean, I had some areas of growth that I needed to grow in. I didn't know how to articulate that or what they were, and that program helped me to name it. And it helped me to um, be able to begin formulating a plan on how to address those things and not to discount the totality of the offering that I bring to my community. I and I hope I'm answering your question. But when I went to that program, I did not think of my women's ministry, marriage ministry, um, Sunday school or board work on a childcare board. I did not think of those things as contributions from my nursing self. Actually, I didn't have a holistic thought of, of who I was. And so they helped to help, uh, help me frame up, I guess, in my own mind, like, chick, you're okay. You're, you're doing just fine. (laughs) Uh, and you are, um, You are a leader, whether you realize it or not. And you're a leader because you're doing, do you realize what you're doing? Do you realize what you're contributing? No, I didn't. And so that was the first place that I under began to understand better about what I was. Um, I was living out a mission that I hadn't quite articulated yet and they helped me frame that up. So the Duke university experience was, was a wonderful opportunity for self-discovery to, um, to expand, I think each t- each fellow's perception of their leadership potential, um, and even acknowledging their contributions at the point they were already in their career, and realizing that as a nurse practitioner, by default, you are a leader in the clinical right. in the clinical team, especially. Um, but that that program is designed to help us beyond the clinical setting, behind those, beyond those four walls, to get us at the conference table to take a seat, to speak the knowledge and wisdom that we have from the clinical experiences that we have with our patients one-on-one and with the healthcare system so that we can effectively, positively impact healthcare systems by being having a voice at the table and helping to formulate decisions that will have um, impacts for our and outcomes affect the outcomes, health outcomes for our populations. I, I, uh, I can look now, eight years later, and say I, I never envisioned, I, I, at that time when I was in the program eight years ago, being where I am now. My vision didn't go this far in terms of what I've been able to do, and I know that I've been able to do it as a result of
0: being in that program. Yeah, yeah, that's that's um, that is an absolutely wonderful. I think testimonial to the program, and mm-hmm. and all that it's done, and the and the vision behind putting that program together. I mean, like I, I said, I I grew a lot just by being involved, mm-hmm. and and didn't have to do the things you guys did, yeah, <laughs> which was a lot of work, and and um, I don't think anybody should. Should think that it's not a, a lot of work, because it's not only a lot of work, um, you know, professionally and and doing projects and writing papers and the research and and stuff that goes into it. But there is so much internal work mm-hmm. that has to oh. be done, and I think that that kind of leads us into the work you have been doing. This, this whole concept of, of uh, imposter syndrome, but also the book mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and your story in the book of, um, I don't have it right in front of me, but it was something like healing from the inside out.
1: You'll graciously transformed from the
0: inside yes. out. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. yeah. So can you talk a little bit about that anyway? Sure. Um, I, I don't believe in happenstance, but I will
1: tell you, um, last February, I had a conversation with um, Dr. Madge Barnes, who is a physician in Texas. And we just just happened to reconnect after uh, several years and we were just talking. And as we got to talking, we realized that we shared some of the same um, Um, desires in terms of being able to help women um, and to minister to women, basically. And she told me about a writing project that she was on. And I expressed that I had this dream of being able to do that, to contribute or to write. Um, I had uh, recently, well, in 2017, my father passed and I began journaling and writing quite a bit. And uh, before the conversation was over, she had connected me to um, Cheryl Pelote Williamson, who was the mastermind behind this book, Sold Out, Volume 2. And I was able to contribute my story to this anthology. There are 24 authors who contributed. My chapter is called Graciously Transformed from the Inside Out. And I talk about my journey. Um, I talk a little bit about my profession. I'm you know, I've um, I've I've worked in my community for for several years. So, twenty four authors contribute to this anthology, and each one of us is writing a, our stories of how we've overcome challenges, whether it's with health or uh, maybe our identity, or it could have been with substance abuse for some of the people in the in the book, or divorce. We talk about how faith and prayer helped us through that journey. Um, In my chapter, I talk about um, my, um, kind of a bit about my early childhood and experiencing childhood emotional neglect and how that always kind of um, stuff from your childhood lingers if you don't deal with it and how it's so important to deal with those things so that you can move past it. Um, and be able to contribute uh, and be present more fully, in my opinion. I believe God created us all, right? And I believe that he knows best what happens with us and why it happens and how he works it all together for our good. Um, And I love the Bible. The Bible has wonderful teachings in it. But for us to completely heal and transform for some of us, it requires a little bit more. It requires the acknowledgement of the word, but it also requires some work. It requires us to be able to be honest with ourselves, face the truth about whatever, whether it's the good and including the bad along with the good, um, and then being able to move uh, move from there. Um, I speak specifically about uh, the loss of my father and how that stressor along with some stressors on my job, just life happens. My mom has dementia and taking care of her and becoming a grandmother. Just a lot of life events happened um, and how I transformed through that and how God mm-hmm. knew from way before it ever happened, how he just prepared the way for that. None of it was easy. I think growth, everybody needs i understand growth is painful. Um, you know, we talk about the things that we want. Maybe you want to be a nurse executive or maybe you want to be a nurse practitioner or maybe you want to be a lead nurse practitioner in your agency. But whatever it is that we think we want, we need to clearly understand that what we want, we we have the tools, but there is a, there is a um, we used to call this the learning curve, a steep learning curve. And for those of us who... Um, ever start anything new oh that learning curve is not comfortable i mean there's a lot of discomfort in that and that we shouldn't shy away from that that is where i think some of our strength comes from um and that's when we really learn who we are
0: i really agree with that Uh, when we stretch
1: Mm -hmm. that's exactly what it
0: is um when we stretch, that's when we grow. When we get so complacent where we are, whether it be in our businesses, in our careers, in our jobs, um, in our own personal lives, if, if we are just really kind of just being there, we're very comfortable, we're not growing. We're not mm-hmm. growing. We have to grow. And, and out of growth comes that... Um, I mean, out of that discomfort comes the growth. You know, that whole saying of every time a door closes, another one opens, you know, and that opportunity is always there. It is, but you have to get to that place where you can see it and recognize it. Because sometimes we go places and we're not ready to be there yet, Uh yet. And so you have to go do some other things before you can, can achieve that one particular goal. Yes, I
1: agree with that. I totally agree with
0: that. Yeah. So, so in, I know that you also work with people Mm -hmm. with a a group of women, right?
1: So I work with a life group through my church, Koineo Christian Center in Greenville, North Carolina. And we, I have a life group and it's called holistic health. Um, and it is a wonderful, and it is a wonderful way for women to really be intentional about wellness. The premise, the the, um, I use the premise of the domains of wellness. And depending on who you read or listen to, there are either six domains of wellness, seven domains of wellness, eight domains of wellness, twelve dimensions of life. There. All these different paradigms on how many dimensions there are, but um, we look at the spiritual, physical, emotional, occupational, environmental, financial, social. We look at all of those aspects of our lives and it's, it's intended to help us to realize that the decisions that we make today not only impact our lives, but they're creating a legacy for those coming behind us. And I would, i love to use example of my mom who made a decision. She wanted to be self-sufficient. She was going to take care of her children. She went to school, um, worked long hours, that decision, that sacrifice that she made, the short-term sacrifices of not necessarily being able to be with us during the times when she wanted to, and we wanted to knowing that in the future, she was planting a seed to allow us to be able to grow and be able to have opportunities that perhaps she didn't have um, when she was when she was our age, so that decision was and has provided a legacy, um, certainly for me. So Excellent. that's what we talk about in the in that group, and they they acknowledge in that group as well that. There are women and there are others, too. They have fathers and, and other instrumental people, too. But they have people in their lives who poured into them based on the decisions that they made for their lives, things that those people looked at in the eyes of a child and were so they admired. And now they've adopted those things because they've decided that's the kind of legacy or that is how they want to leave their imprint on the lives of others.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah and I know from my own experience in leading groups, mm-hmm. it's not a one-way thing. No. Uh-uh. Um, and as the group leader, you also grow.
1: It's been. It's that is actually, and during the pandemic, I must say that it. And we, we launched during this group, this particular group launched during the pandemic. And in fact, my first day out on the curb doing COVID-19 testing last year was the first night of our first group meeting and the pressure that you feel. Um, I believe um, fatigue, time were issues that night. I worked right up to the start of the meeting or our our fellowship, our, we ended the testing. I actually left my teammates in the room like, y'all, I've got to start my class and walked into my office and had the first Zoom meeting in my office for that for that group. Um, and I felt much of a, I felt a strain as if, can I do this in the midst of the pandemic? And I'm so glad my um, pastor trust said to me, you know, Kim, you know, you, you do what the Lord, you feel the Lord is leading you to do. But sometimes when you're participating in these groups, you actually receive as much as you give. So think about, think about that. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So I'm glad I did. <laughs> I didn't stop. I'm glad I didn't.
0: Yeah. And it's, it's, it's true. We do, you know, we have so many, We have so much resilience inside of us that sometimes we don't know how much resilience that we have. And I think this last year for with COVID, I think probably anyone and everyone in the healthcare community has realized that they have so much more. They may be exhausted. Mm -hmm. They may be tired, but I could probably say without a doubt the vast majority it's you know it's never going to be 100 percent, but the vast majority have stepped up to the plate Mm -hmm. and should be be patting themselves on the back that yes they did have that but you know that they had that resilience but I think it also goes back then into for you what you were just saying can you lead this group Mm -hmm. do you have it but is it also part of that, and this is true for all of us again, particularly, it's for both men and women, but particularly I think for women, this that whole concept, as you mentioned earlier, of imposter syndrome.
1: Oh, yes. Yeah. I, I think that it does go back to that because when I look at my, um, just during that time frame with the life group, if we want to talk about holistic, when you think about holistic health, first of all, let me back up a bit. When you think about holistic health, one of the things you think about is balance and recognizing the interconnectedness of all of those different domains that I mentioned, spiritual to me being being the core. Um, but when we're out of balance, let's say occupationally, I know for sure I was all in and have been all in for some time on the job in terms of di- time command, demand for what I have to accomplish Well, you know, when I'm all in on my time demand for my occupation, my exercise time starts to slip down. And that's just that's just one area. Um, Or I may I may. Hey, I'll be transparent. I may not read or I may not pray when I'm supposed to. I may jump out and run. And who wants to tell anybody that they do that? who wants to um it's hard to teach that and know that you're not hitting it perfect but are we perfect?
0: You mean who wants to admit being human? Who wants to admit being human? Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, I think perfection does more damage than anything else. This whole the whole well there is no perfection, but the whole concept of perfection is very damaging. Um especially for those of us that are high achievers yes you know oh, wow. what do you mean i can't get it right I, yeah you know i mean as a student it was like i got a b oh you okay. know it's just okay. how how could i have gotten a b why didn't i get an a and yet you're not going to stand up there and say oh look at me because you don't you know it's like wow did i really do that mm-hmm. that's can i really do that I
1: I? got to tell you, one of the things that um, I say, I've said it in jest, but it's the truth. Perfection escapes me. Yes. Perfection escapes me. That's Um, a really good way to put it. And there used to be a a time where that would bring a bit of shame. Um, But you better free yourself um, and acknowledge that
0: um,
1: because we are human.
0: We are human. For the nurse leader, huh? who may get caught up in in that whole idea of being perfect, because, of course, if we're perfect, then we maybe we don't have to feel this imposter stuff that we're faking it. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, what what? You know, as, as you working with, because you're working with the, uh, you're coaching this year, right? With the leadership yes. program. Mm-hmm. So when you have those fellows in your coaching group mm-hmm. who are caught up in perfection, how do you, what what do you coach them with? What do you, what do you say to them? And because, and I'm, I'm asking that specifically because I know that some of the people listening to this podcast are caught up Uh with the whole idea of perfection and are also striving to be better leaders. Uh
1: So it's two things. The first thing that I would say is, um, oftentimes we have a vision of how we think things should be. And that's all in our head, literally. And, um, I think Byron Katie was the one who said that when you fight with reality, you only hurt yourself. (laughs) So I think that um, we have to have flexibility in being able to have, certainly have a vision, but have the flexibility to be able to recognize that you are dealing with people. And inherently, there may be an aspect of something that you didn't consider that will cause section 5A to little a in your plan to not be able to come to um, reality because we are dealing with human beings or we are dealing with systems or we are dealing with patients who are human and may not be able to um, perhaps report out on that um, post-survey that you implemented so that you can get your comparison between the improvement from pre-intervention to post-intervention. Um, I think we have to be able to even know it going in that I may not get the ninety five percent of the data that I'm aiming for, and that if I get the eighty five percent, I've not failed. I've not failed. Um, so I hope that answers your question. Um,
0: I, I think I think there's a couple of things here. One of the things you said that you know they may not think that way or have access to that way or got the memo on it. One of the Mm -hmm. things that I have said to students for years and years is the patients did not read your textbooks. (laughs) They don't know Mm -hmm. how they're supposed to present, you know, Mm -hmm. and, and the way that people present the way people do stuff inherently, I think for the vast majority, people are doing the best that they can. I agree. And they're, As as we were saying earlier, everything that they come to you with is a result of every place they've ever been. Just like every place, you know, we write this right now in this very moment, you right now in this very moment are a result of everything in your life, whether you want to acknowledge it or not, whether it was good or it wasn't. Mm -hmm. And that, I think, is the beauty of people. Yes. Frustrating at times, yes, but mm-hmm. <laughs> but it keeps it us is. on our toes. It is.
1: And I said I had two things about perfection. Um, certainly knowing that we're working with human beings and that the, well, the first thing actually was that we we have a vision in mind, but we, we have to also consider we have to have a, a, a degree of flexibility Um And then the other thing is, is that um, there are times when perfection is the expectation and it should be the goal. It should be the outcome. If I have uh, surgery and I have a neurosurgeon who's working on my back, I sure want him to be, you know, at C7 if he's supposed to be at C7, you know? Right. I don't want him to come up and say, well, you know, you're still going to have that pain because I uh, operate on T3, not C7. No, I need you to be perfect. <laughs> you know, I need you to be perfect in that moment. Um, so I don't want people to think that we're not, we're we're saying that there's not, you know, there's not an, uh, times when or, or circumstances where we need things to be perfect. I need to insert an IUD perfectly. Um, but dealing with people is a little bit, it's a little bit different. Um, yeah. And when you're dealing with systems, that's a that's a different type of um, perfection that you may frustrate yourself out of a job. If you look at dealing with people, as we look at the technical skill of giving an I.M. Moderna vaccine or administering epinephrine or Benadryl or um, any other technical skills that we perform. I want perfection. Right. I want to execute perfection in those things. I expect perfection for myself in those things. Right. Dealing with people is a little different.
0: It it really is. I mean, just take it back to the bedside. Um, I can remember my early days in ICU mm-hmm. where um, I was really, to me, it was really important to be perfect in that job, because literally people's lives were at stake. And yet I still had in my mind the nursing process. And, you know, so I would have everything planned out the way that I thought it should happen. And then, you know, my plan did not allow for a patient to code. (laughs) And that just would throw me off. Uh-huh. and um yeah and I, I I needed to do some work about that around that whole uh-huh. thing about being flexible enough because we're dealing with people and fortunately I had a um, a really good head nurse who pulled me aside and helped me with that but uh-huh. um, we do need to be flexible as leaders but I think even more so we need to be flexible with ourselves. Uh-huh because of that whole idea of the perfection, which I love that it escapes us, it escapes us all. Um, but you know, we get so hard on ourselves and I think that social media makes it even worse because we've got to be perfect to the people that are reading our posts and are following us on Instagram or Facebook or wherever it may be. Uh So, I'd like to just speak just a little bit more about your book, if you will, because I know a lot of people want to write a book. So you actually participated in an, in an anthology and I did that myself many, many years ago. Mm -hmm. And, um, and it's an interesting process. So you work with someone who puts everything together, gathers a group of authors Mm -hmm. and then makes sure that the book gets published Was that a, a difficult process for you or or mm. not
1: so it depends on how you count difficult uh, in regards to the actual work of it it was complicated by the pandemic when we first sat down to start the work um i had envisioned having time um to really um more time than I actually ended up having to, to get the work done. I had a competition with the pandemic and the nature of my job with working in public health. We were um, responding and adjusting policy. So it was difficult in a sense of the time demand. Uh, it was difficult in the sense of the self-discovery that I thought I had achieved to that point And then realizing when I sat down to write, there was another level of discovery that I acclimated to. It was difficult in that sense. The technical writing part of it was not, actually was not, was not, not too bad. It was really what unfolded when I began to write. Um, And even as I, even as even as I'm going along now, and the book has been released, and you know we're we've launched it, and it's time to start talking about it, there are things that are still unfolding. As I look at um, what I've written, um, so it was it was difficult in in those senses, um, mm-hmm. but it was a wonderful process, I think, to actually participate in an anthology as the first write. Um, for someone who has an interest in being an, a solo author, independent author, I think that it gave me a wonderful sense of um, insight. Um, and I'm, I'm yet learning as I begin the process of selling the books and um, needing to put myself out there um, and still having a, 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 a pool with time because my primary job, my job is demanding in in terms of time. So I can tell you that writing doesn't happen. It just doesn't happen. It takes a lot of intention um, and scheduling and and saying you're going to commit this amount of time on this day to do it and then do it and allowing yourself to write and not delete, but keep writing. Um, But some of that stuff I learned when I was in my DNP program too um, with having to write my, um, that I forget how many pages. I, that was a book itself. <laughs> but, you know, I learned a lot from
0: doing that. Yeah, yeah. Well, thank you so much for sharing all of this today. How can people get a hold of your book? Or if they want to contact you, what is the best way to do that?
1: Okay. So, the best way to order the book is going to be on the Page entitled the Raising Butterflies or Kimberly B. Uh, they actually cross reference each other, so if you touch, if you put in one, it'll take you to the other.
0: Excellent. Excellent. I will have those links in the show notes for everybody who is listening. So you'll be able to access that. And will they be also be able to contact you through those pages if they choose to? They will. To?
1: Mm-hmm. There's a contact me page there. Um, and they're welcome to reach me that way. I do have an email. It's rather long. Um, but I do have an email address. It's Kimberly Hardy at the Raising Butterflies Group dot com. A little lengthy,
0: but. Okay, perfect. So again, I'll have all of that for everybody. Now, is there anything I didn't ask you about that you would like to mention?
1: There is a collaborative that's happening um, as a result of the ACES study, Adverse Childhood Experiences study that was conducted several years ago. Well, now across the county, the resiliency collaborative has been, has been um, adopted in several communities, and they are actually performing or providing um, workshops to help people develop resilience and coping strategies and that type of thing. So it's a wonderful resource for those who may actually be experiencing trauma right now as a result of the pandemic. But also if there was trauma in their past, um, it will help them with coping with that as well. There's been a lot of neurobiology research done in recent years that shows that we can retrain our nervous system to respond differently. Um, And this um, resiliency collaborative discusses quite a bit of that work and gives practical Day to day tools that can be used by everyone um, to help us with coping during the pandemic and and otherwise.
0: Excellent. Well, thank you so much, and I'll again have the link to that as well in the show notes. So, thank you, and uh, it was wonderful to have you on the show. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed this discussion as much as I did. And I want to thank Kimberly for taking time out of her really busy schedule to share her journey with us. Make sure that you take the time to head on over to npbusiness.com forward slash podcasts to get access to the show notes and links for today's episodes, and again, for all of our episodes. And while you're there, be sure and look around the blog and take note of all the education resources and support options that are available to you on the topics of the business of healthcare, practice and business startup, and so much more. Again, that's npbusiness.com. This has been Barbara C. Phillips, nurse practitioner and founder of Nurse Practitioner Business Owner. Thank you so much for being here with me today. And I look forward to seeing you in the next episode of the NP Business Matters podcast. Bye-bye now.